Can you hear me? There we go. Good morning. Hope you are doing well. It's good to see everyone. My name is Adam. It is a privilege to be able to stand before you this morning and deliver God's word. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, so if you want, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible or your iPad or uh, if we were reminded last night at our youth party, if you're old and you have a Kindle, you can even turn that on and go to Colossians 1 there. We're in our second week of our identity series, and this, this past week, Pastor Jimmy helped us uh, from Colossians chapter 3, understand what it is and what it looks like and why we should love God supremely. And this week, uh, this morning, I'm going to spend some time in Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, in the beginning of Colossians chapter 2, we're going to examine God's word to see what it says about how we are to love others sacrificially. And that's love others here in this room, those are the believers and unbelievers, love those who are um, not in this room across the world who need to hear the message of the gospel. Um, so hopefully as we're going through our text today, you'll, you'll have some light bulbs going off in your mind because, I don't know, 18 months or so, ago, uh, Pastor Jimmy took us through Colossians in a, in a series, and I was joking with him last night, and I said, you do understand that the section of scripture you've assigned to me this morning, you took about seven weeks to go through it, um, and went in Colossians, and we chuckled, and he chuckled more than I did. Um, <laughs> but whether you're making the connections or not throughout uh, this morning's service, I'd encourage you to go back to to our webpage and listen to those again. Uh, four of them are actually on YouTube from when we were, had our COVID break. Uh, Pastor Jimmy did some 20-minute teachings through that. And, um, so as we begin this morning, though, I want to remind you of a particular statement that Pastor Jimmy made in one of those YouTube videos back in May of 2020. And, he, and this will serve to help us understand our foundation for how we are to love each other uh, sacrificially. Um, and as we go through today's text, I really do believe, as I've studied this week, the central theme of it is the gospel. It's the truth. It's, it's the word of truth. It's the gospel in Christ Jesus. And it is what informs us and in how we are to love others sacrificially. So this morning's text is really going to be more about the truth of the gospel. And um, throughout that, we'll see the implications of how we're to love each other sacrificially. But here's the, in typical... And we call them Pauline statements in Paul's letters because they run on for a long time. These, this is a Jimmy, a Jimmy S. statement. Uh, but he said this, he said, The grace of God and the gospel of truth is so full and complete that its immediate and future treasures are so great that everything else pales in comparison. So the treasures, and the, those that are immediate and future, they're so full and complete in the gospel truth, everything else fails in comparison. He went on to say, and the believer's understanding of this grace will bring about a desire to lovingly sacrifice anything, including one's own life, because even life itself pales in comparison to the grace of God given in the gospel. Um, a profound statement, one that will serve as our foundation of this morning. If you're in Colossians already, let's read our text this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read 3 through 14, and then we'll skip over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us uh, your love in the Spirit. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. you would pray with me. Father, this morning as we, we've already rehearsed these truths in song and by reading them in your word, we've prayed them. God, but as we now again hear them from your word, would you open our eyes to see the truth? Would you open our eyes to, uh, to hear your word? Father, would you open our hearts by your spirit to receive Christ? Father, will you be glorified this morning in our, our thoughts and our actions and our deeds? Father, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just this week in studying through the text, just reading through it a few times, I was immediately struck at one thing, and that is that I noticed the, the, triune, the triune nature of God is undeniable here. Um, Booney brought to attention the fact that when we sung how great the Father's love for us, it is the triune God that we are singing of. Uh, verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and His Son. And then in verse 8, it goes on, and he says, Epaphras has made, to, made known to us uh, your love in the Spirit. So immediately we see the triune nature of God in the section. And Paul and Timothy, um, who are writing this letter to the Colossians, uh, they are thanking God, the Father, for the grace that has been given to the Colossians in God the Son and for the love of all the saints that was granted to them through God the Spirit. So the triune nature of God is plainly seen here. And just very quickly, uh, we've rehearsed that truth uh, multiple times over the past two and a half years in our catechisms. Uh, the question in our catechism that we've asked is, uh, how many persons are there in God? Well, there are three persons in the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. As we go through our text this morning, um, the statement that I read earlier from Jimmy will serve as our our foundation, our overview. Um, But in that, you'll notice uh, we will see evidence of how and this is the 10,000-foot view of the, of the text this morning, evidence of how God the Father in Christ and by His Spirit, He gives faith to His people. And that faith that comes by uh, the hearing of the Word, the hearing of the Gospel, as it is proclaimed, and as it's heard, it is uh, received and believed. And then that true faith is worked out, okay? It is proven or evidenced in love for all the saints. And in their faith and love were um, the byproducts of a certain hope that they have. And we're going to look at that hope later, um, but it is an inheritance that's found in Christ. It's laid up for them. It is stored. It is treasured. It is guarded in heaven for them. And then we read of how Epaphras has made Paul and Timothy aware of this truth, and he's made, made them aware um, of how the, the Colossians have received the word of truth, and it's transforming them and it is informing the way that they love one another, and it is bearing fruit, and it is spreading. And all of this has come about as they receive the gospel of truth. Uh, and the gospel of truth in Christ, that is the foundation for hope. It is the foundation for faith. It is the foundation for love. So if that's true, uh, I hope you would agree with me. It's really important that we understand the gospel. We understand what it is. We understand how to share it. We understand how it enables us and informs us uh, why and how we are to love others sacrificially. So this morning we've got, I'll just say we have quite a few observations from the text. You can number them as we go. I'll give you time to write them down. Um, The first is this. The gospel truth, and they'll all begin with that. The gospel truth, number one, is a grace gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. Verse 3, we read there, we always thank who? We thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So Paul, in somewhat typical fashion here, he's beginning his letter with a greeting, and then he moves to thanksgiving. um, And in his thanksgiving, he is commending something in the Colossians. But I think it's important that we notice he's he's not patting them on the back and saying, good job. He's not flattering them. What he's doing is he's doing what we ought to do. When we recognize in, a, in our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we recognize faith and hope and love, um, he is giving thanks to the one whom thanks is due, and that is God himself. He's thanking God for all that he has accomplished in the lives of the, Colossians, of the Christians there in Colossae. And he's thanking God for the fruit that has been borne out, and he's thanking God for the increase of the gospel. In that, I think he's helping them and us understand that salvation comes by Christ alone. It doesn't come through works or for them. It didn't come through legalism. It didn't come through mysticism. Um, We can't earn it by those things. We can't earn it by our own uh, human goodness. We can't earn it by our effort or our kindness or our humanitarianism or our philanthropy or whatever you want to add to that list. The only means is by means of grace. Um, The point is this. God in his sovereign will freely bestows his grace upon sinners and forgives them mercifully. I teach a um, a third through sixth grade class for um, CDM, and a lot of our young boys and girls that are in that are here this morning, and we're in unit eight right now, 
And unit eight is titled, The God Who Loves. And in that, there's always a, a big question and a big answer uh, to kind of help us understand God's, whatever's, whatever character we're studying about God at that time. And the big question for this unit, the God who loves, is what is God's love for his people like? And then the big answer for that is, and it seems so simple, but it's profound, it's more than they could ever deserve. And that is the truth and the grace of the gospel. We get that which we do not deserve. Um, write down Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, go read it. We won't look at it now, but it screams that truth out of the pages of the Bible. And as we get to the later points this morning, you'll, you'll hear what is often referred to as the, maybe the three main virtues of Christians, the, the three virtues of believers, faith, hope, and love, right? And we know that the greatest of those is love. While they are necessary virtues in the life of the believer, let's not get it twisted, okay? Let's learn the important lesson that Paul's trying to teach here. That these are gifts from God. They're gifts that are given to a believer in grace. Um, faith, hope, and love are not something that we can conjure up in and of ourselves and produce um, in and of our own strength. Uh, they're grace from God. Paul here, he does just that in, the, in his writing. He thanks God, who is the source um, of all the Colossians' faith. He thanks, them for, thanks God for their faith, their hope, their love. And then the next sentence, um, he says that these things came to them, and they, in, in verse 6, they heard it, that is the gospel, and they understood the what? The grace of God and truth. So Paul is connecting faith and hope and love to the grace of God, and that they are given um, graciously by God in salvation. So that's the first truth. Second truth the gospel truth is received by faith in Christ alone. You know, verse 4, the second half of it there. Um, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, Christ is the object of their faith. And that's what Paul is thanking them for, or thanking God for. Um, why, why do you think Paul would thank God for this truth? That they were saved by faith in Christ I had to thinking about it. It's because not everyone is saved by faith. I mean, it, this is a this is a miracle. We don't often think that deep about it. Um, not everybody hears the gospel and is changed by it and receives it and it bears fruit in their life. Instead, there are many in this world that ignore it. They harden their hearts to it. They twist it into something that it's not. They rebel against it, and they don't obey it. And Scripture is clear what the end result is going to be for those who don't receive the gospel by faith. They'll, they'll perish in their sin, they'll perish in their unbelief, and they will spend eternity separated from God, and, God, and the wrath of God will remain on them forever. Um, that's why Paul is thanking God for the faith that the Colossians have, because they're not under the wrath of God anymore. Um, this morning... I can, I can with Paul, and I think I can speak with my, for my pastors on this one as well. For those in here who have received the gospel, we are thankful for that. We are thankful that you are no longer in condemnation, that you are no longer under the wrath of God, that you have been saved and you have life and you have a certain hope. But the opposite can't be ignored either. For those in here this morning who don't know Christ, 
I want to implore you with the words of Jesus. And I know calls, you know, gospel calls sort of come towards the end of the sermon, but it's here now. Hear the words of Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, the, our prayer as pastors has always been for uh, people who are in our midst that don't know Christ and those in the Ogden area that don't know Christ, that they would hear the truth of the gospel and they would receive it and believe it because that's the only hope we have for salvation. It's received in Christ alone. Uh, third truth of the gospel is the gospel truth is proven or it's evidenced by sacrificial love for others. The gospel truth is proven or evidenced by sacrificial love for others. Again, in verse 4, since we heard of the love that you have for all the saints. And the word for love here is agape. It's one of the many Greek words that, um, that they have for love. And I'm sure that you've you know, you've heard all of those different loves, and you've probably heard it defined, but I think it's good for us to hear it again. Um, agape is a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Okay, hear that again. Agape love is a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. It's the kind of love that is not born merely out of emotions. It's not born merely out of feelings or familiarity or attraction or anything like that. But it is a, it's a will. It's a choice. It's something we choose to do. It requires faithfulness. It requires commitment. It requires sacrifice. And in all of that, it also requires that we don't respect, you know, expect anything in return. Um, this kind of selfless, sacrificial love is the love that we should expect from all believers. It's an outworking of their, of their faith. Because the truth is, where there is true faith, there will be love. And the opposite of that is also true. Um, in a believer, a professing believer, where you don't see sacrificial love um, working out in them, um, we, have the, we have the right and probably the responsibility to question the genuineness of their faith. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this. He says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then in the first verse of chapter 4, he says, Pursue love. Think back to our identity series from last year. Um, I believe it was Booney that gave uh, the message dealing with this particular one on loving others sacrificially. And from John 13, uh, this is what we read A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have, what, love for one another. Um, we're to pursue it. We are pursue, to pursue the commandment to love one another. And this agape love, which is the, the proof of faith, so to speak, um, it causes Paul and Timothy to thank God and to glorify him. And when we, as the church here at Oak Valley, when we see that sacrificial love in others, uh, it should cause us to thank God and to glorify Him. Um, it's, you know, faith is not something that should lead us to withdraw from people. It shouldn't lead us to get in our own bubble and to um, be concerned only with ourselves. It should lead us to love people and to seek out ways to show them love because um, 
we've been shown that love in Christ. We have sung of that this morning. We've read of that this morning. Um, it is because of his sacrificial love that we are able to show love to others. And in that, we put off pride and we put off selfishness and we seek to put on humility and selflessness and reflect the love of Christ. Um, the point is this. We are saved by faith to love. We are saved by faith to love. And this is done in the context of community. I don't think it's something that can be done apart from community. Um, read a quote this week. I think it was from MacArthur. I forgot to write down who it was from. Uh, but he said this, uh, Jesus, the one who attracts all the sinners to himself, is also in the process of attracting all the sinners to each other. Uh, and I'm afraid too many professing believers today are missing the boat when it comes to this. I know that I am. Um, I know that I like my bubble. I know that I am much more attracted to my comforts, more than I am of, of getting out and loving others and seeking ways to sacrifice myself for them. Um, I know how much I think my preferences should be law. Um, to still a, a phrase from T.O., I know how much Adam loves him some Adam. Um, I know how much I love perceived safeness as if I could add a single day to my life. I'm not saying go out and be reckless with your, with your life, but I do want you to consider something for a moment. Uh, consider how many professing believers, okay, I'm talking to believers here for a minute, consider how many professing believers in the world right now are walking in open and blatant sin because they refuse to gather regularly with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They refuse to be in community. Their reasons are endless, and I'll concede some of them may be um, genuine and legit, but for the most part, they probably can be traced back to some form of selfishness. Um, they're neglecting to, to gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ because of fear, because of convenience, because of laziness, apathy, indifference, ignorance. I mean, we could, we could go down the list, um, and, and when I say ignorance, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I mean they just don't know that they are to gather with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but meanwhile, all of these professing believers, while they're avoiding church, they still can find the courage and the time and the vigor to visit Starbucks and the gym and their shopping mall and the restaurants. And all the while, there are Christians all across the world who are being killed um, in the face of intense persecution because against the mandates and against the laws and against the rules. <laughs> They're not neglecting to gather with their people, and they're being put to death for it. Um, I know it's a little bit of a soapbox, but the point is this. We don't have an excuse. We should be gathering with our people because we've been told to do so, and we've been told to love sacrificially, and we've been told that this sacrificial love is evidence of the fact that we have faith, and this is done in community. It's evidence that we've been that we've received and believed the gospel of truth. Um, fourth point. The gospel truth is rooted in a certain hope. I think, I think this observation of hope is what has stuck with me and struck me so much this week. Um, but verse 5, we read, because of the hope laid up for you, in heaven. So they have faith, 
and they're able to love all the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul is thanking God for the Colossians' faith. He's thanking God for their love for all the saints, and he's saying to them, you can you have these things because of God's grace, and you can rest in these things because of the hope you have laid up for you in heaven. Their hope is their foundation, so to speak, for their faith and for their love. Um, so naturally we would ask the question, well, what is their hope that's laid up for them in heaven? Well, just consider what Pastor Jimmy taught from Colossians 3 last week. In Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, and if you want to flip over a page in your Bible, you can. He says, for you have died. It doesn't seem very hopeful for you have died, but it is because see what comes next. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, and I, I picture the hand motions of Jimmy last week. Like our lives it, are hidden in Christ with God. He has covered us in that. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's your hope in, in death. There's your hope in life. Um, think back to Hebrews. We just came out of that series not long ago. In chapter 6, we read in verses 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, okay, the fact that God doesn't lie and that he is guaranteed these things. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become our high priest forever. And then, um, finally, in, in considering our hope and what it is laid up for us in heaven, Peter helps us in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and, and verse 9, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and here's our living hope, because we have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it is kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the objective hope. It's not subjective. That is the objective hope that they can and we can cling to with absolute confidence and with absolute certainty. And because it's laid up for them in heaven, it's being guarded by God, it's being guarded by his strength and by his power and by his promises, it can't be taken away. There's no earthly ruler, there's no demonic power, there is no corrupt political system, there's no terrorist, disease, pandemic. There is nothing that can rob them, there's nothing that can rob us of the reality of this certain hope. And it is this objective hope in the gospel that produced in them their faith, it produced in them their sacrificial love. Um, think back to Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 1. Again, we just came out of Hebrews, so all this is fresh on my mind. But in Hebrews 11, 1, 
we read that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And when we hope for something, okay, when we hope is one of those hard things to wrap our mind around, but when we hope for something, there's kind of two different ways we can hope in something. There's the, well, I hope this happens, or I hope this doesn't happen, or I hope my team wins, or I hope this, or I hope that. There's that mindset, which is kind of the wishful thinking mindset, right? Um, I'd call that uncertain hope. Um, but then there's also um, a certain hope. So in, in the uncertain hope, there's no guarantee that things are going to be realized. But in certain hope, uh, we have a desire for something that we know is going to happen. We know we're going to receive it, even though it's currently unseen and it's, and it's currently unrealized. Um, but it, it is a future assurance that rests not in chance and, and not in wishful thinking, but it rests in the promises of God and it rests in his character. And it's, and it's faith that gives us substance for this hope. Um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. It's kind of like this. Um, when you're hoping for something that is certain, okay, it's, it hasn't happened yet, um, it's still unseen, it's still unrealized, but it's certain. You know what's going to happen. Um, it is your faith that gives it reality in the here and now. Okay, so our faith gives present substance and assurance for certain things that are going to happen, going to happen but have not uh, yet. For example, okay, believers, we believe Christ is going to come back. We 100% fully believe that, correct? I hope you do. Okay, why? I mean, it's, it's physically unseen. It hasn't been realized fully yet. We haven't seen it happen, yet we believe it because we have a certain hope in it, because it rests in God's promises, because it rests in God's character, and therefore we have faith that it's going to happen, okay? And even though it hasn't, it is our faith that gives it present substance to where we live our lives now as if it has happened, as if it's already been realized. So this certain hope of the gospel, which is the word of truth, is what? enables us as believers to walk in faith and to love all the saints uh, sacrificially. Uh, fifth point, fifth observation. The gospel truth is spread to the world by God's people and it increases. The gospel truth is spread to the world by God's people and it increases. Now, beginning in verse 6, uh, we read the gospel which has come to you. Okay, so it's come there to them. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day that we heard... I can't think of a better way to love someone. I can't think of a better way for us to sacrificially love others than to bring them the truth of the gospel. I can't think of a better way for Oak Valley Church to, uh, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love those here in the Ogden area than to be faithful ministers of the gospel. Can't believe of, I can't think of a better way for um, you as a 
a believer to see something in your, you know, your feather, fellow brother and sister in Christ and, and see, man, I, I don't think they're catching the implications of the gospel in that area of life. And for you to go to them and say, hey, I, I see this. Um, struggling in this area, I know, but have you considered the implications of the gospel and how you don't need to struggle in that area? Um, take hold of the life you have in Christ. And um, Epaphras has done that. He's done the same thing. He was a beloved fellow servant of Paul and Timothy, and um, he was where they were in Rome and heard the message of the gospel, was probably discipled by them, and he was the faithful minister who took the message of the gospel back to Colossae because Paul and Timothy couldn't be there and he took the truth of salvation back to them uh, he was a uh, in this text here he was described as a diakonos or a servant or a deacon or a minister to the people of Colossae he was the one who was entrusted to uh, love the others there sacrificially and, and he did that uh, how did he faithfully do it he discipled them that's what we're called to do for one another to lovingly sacrifice and disciple our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to tell them the truth of God, to remind them of the truth of God when we need to hear it. Um, and, and I just don't, I don't want us to miss how the spread of the gospel happens here and how it goes into all of the world. It goes by man. Man and woman take the message of God as his servants into the world. Uh, the Colossians didn't hear it from an angel. They didn't hear it from a dream. They didn't hear it from a vision or an animal or a tree. They didn't get it from the stars or the moon or the sun, um, but from a man, specifically a man who was um, empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit and was called to be a witness and servant and minister to them and to the ends of the earth. And, and in reading that, I couldn't help but think of Romans 10. I just, I love the way that it's almost logically just, you could ask yourself one question after, after another, and that's what the text asks. Romans 10, in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 13 um, we read that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then they ask the question, how then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So there's this kind of logical question to ask. And the point is this, um, for one to call on the name of the Lord and to be saved, there has to be someone to go and be sent and to take it to them and to preach the good news. Um, we hear the same thing from Matthew ch uh, chapter 28. Um, you could think back to your, um, to the prayer and fasting guide that we've been in. Think back to Friday's text, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, right? But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The point is that um, we are, as the church and as believers, to take the message of the gospel to the world um, and to see it increase. Uh, the sixth observation is uh, the gospel truth, it bears fruit internally and externally. Uh, again, in verse 6, uh, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is what? Bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. When the gospel is shared, when it's received, when it is believed, when people understand where their faith comes from, that it's a grace gift from God and they have a hope, um, we should expect fruit from that. Back in Hebrews, we studied the fact that 
Um, the gospel is living. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides. It pierces. Um, it strips people. It exposes people. The gospel confronts them. It shows them their sin. It shows them their coming judgment. Yet it also magnifies the grace of God that is extended to his people in the fact that he forgives sin and that he redeems um, through Christ's life and his death and his resurrection. So for the believers here, the one who heard it and they understood it, there was a twofold work going on uh, among them. The truth of the gospel was doing a work in them. Um, internally, it was transforming their dead hearts. It was giving them new hearts. Um, those that loved God and, and hearts that sought to love others. Um, they were being conformed into the image of Christ. They were putting on the new self and uh, taking off the old self, and they were putting to death the things of the flesh. They were being sanctified. And then we see that that inward growth that's taking place in them, it overflows. It overflows into an external growth. Um, other people there in Colossae and in the rest of the world, they're hearing and seeing the difference that the gospel was making in the life of a person, that they were being transferred from death to life. And then they see that outworking and outpouring of faith, and they hear the gospel, and one who is dead in their sins and trespasses hears the gospel, they believe it, they receive it, and they are added to the church, and that is the external growth that we see there. So the gospel is bearing fruit internally um, and externally. Seventh observation is the gospel truth. It informs our prayers for others. Okay, I know oftentimes we, in prayer, and I'm guilty of this as well, you know, man, I, just, I don't know what to pray for right now. And I think there's times in life where that happens. And I was reminded through studying this that it's the gospel that informs what we're to pray and how to pray for others. Verse 3, Paul and Timothy say, when we pray for you, and then in verse 9, um, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, and then, you know, underline this. If you don't know what to pray in the future, turn to Colossians 1 and read this. Asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now, it's not that Paul and Timothy are praying every second of the day for the Colossians here, but, uh, but they are saying that when we pray for you, okay, and, it, and they haven't ceased, they haven't forgotten to pray for them, they've continued to do it, but when we pray for you, we always give thanks to God our Father for your hope, for your faith, and for your love, but they're also interceding on behalf of the Colossians, whom, by the way, they've never met, okay? They're interceding on behalf of those in Laodicea and, and others that they haven't even met, and this is what they're asking God to do. Fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Understanding these is, this is given by the Spirit of God. Um, they are praying that they would be enabled to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him, that they would bear fruit internally and externally as they grow in the knowledge of him, that they would be strengthened with power so that when they meet various trials, they would be able to endure them with patience and joy. And then he is asking God that 
thanksgiving would be produced in them as well so that they would in turn pray. If you want to know how to pray for me, there it is. If you want to know how to pray for our pastors, for our deacons, for our ministry leaders, um, echo Paul and Timothy's prayer. Look at the person beside you and in front of you and behind you and across from you. If you want to know how to love them sacrificially, take time out of your day and talk to God. Ask and ask God that he would make these things a reality in their life. Paul and Timothy understood that the biggest need for the believers there in Colossae was that they be filled with the Spirit of God, be filled with his wisdom, be filled with his understanding and his righteousness and his fruit and his strength and his patience and his joy. And that when they received these things, they would see them as a, as a grace, grace gift of God and they would in turn thank God for them um, as well. So the gospel truth, it informs our prayers. The eighth observation and we're winding down here. The gospel truth qualifies our inheritance by way of sacrifice. So the gospel truth, it qualifies our inheritance by way of sacrifice. Verse 12, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So the implication here is that apart from God, okay, apart from the Father, that we're not qualified, we are unqualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. In other words, we don't earn our own qualification. We can't. It's a gift. Okay, read again there. The Father who has qualified you. It is something that is done to you, done for you. He's done the work. How did he do it? Uh, continue there in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. How did he do that? How did he deliver and transfer us? through his beloved son, and then, and then in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he redeems and he forgives. How does he do that? Um, consider a couple of texts from our worship guide this morning. In John three sixteen and 17, God so loved the world that he what? He gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then we read that God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that in, in order that the world would be saved through him. So he redeems and he gives, forgives by giving us his son. Um, consider all that was said in Isaiah. Um, our entire call to worship this morning was all about how God saves his people. It's through the sacrifice of his son. It's all about how he qualifies us and how he gives us an inheritance, um, just to name a few of those things. Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Um, it was, our chastisement was placed upon him and given us peace. Um, we were healed by his wounds. Uh, our iniquity was laid upon him um, it, to the point of it was the will of the Lord to crush him because it was the only way that we could be transferred into the kingdom of God. Um, his soul made an offering for our guilt. He bore our iniquities. He poured out his soul to death. And then in the last part of verse 12 there, he bore the sin of many to do what? To make intercession for the transgressors. So that is how he qualifies us to an inheritance. He forgives us through the sacrificial substitutionary death of his son. Ninth observation, the gospel truth gives joy in the midst of struggle and suffering. 
Anybody in here relate to struggle and suffering? I think so. We live in a world that is full of sin and the effects of it. Uh, We're going to face struggling and suffering. If you're a believer, um, expect more than others. We've been told it'll happen. In, we didn't read through verses 24 through 29, but in Colossians 1, but in that, Paul is speaking of the way that he has suffered on behalf of the church. Um, And in that, he says, I rejoice in those things. Um, How was he able to rejoice? Because he knew that the end goal was producing those who were mature in Christ, and he was able to go through these toils and struggles um, because he wasn't relying on his own strength to find joy and to endure. He was relying on the strength of God and the strength of, and the power of Christ working in him. And in Colossians 2, Paul kind of picks up there and he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle. And, and that word there is the Greek word for uh, agon. We get our word agony from that. It could also be translated race or contest or a fight. Um, but he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea um, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches and full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom, all hidden, in whom are hidden all treasures and wisdom and knowledge, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The Christian life is meant to be a joyful struggle. We're going to have our struggles and our sufferings, and yet God is working in us by Christ and through his spirit to enable us to walk through those things and rejoice in them. Rejoice as we're fighting to be knit together in love. Rejoicing as we, as we run the agonizing race um, that is reaching all the full riches and assurance and understanding the knowledge of Christ. Um, how did Paul do it? Um, according to Hebrews 12, he, he ran this race. He ran this agon. He ran this contest, this agonizing struggle by looking to Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, um, who is the one who, for joy, endured the cross. So how are we to do it? We're to look to Christ. We're to lay aside our weight of sin. We're to look to Christ and take hope that he endured the cross with joy and that he is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Romans 8 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then we're heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him and this is where Paul's mindset comes in here Um, notice who he's focused on notice what he is focused on that that causes him to be able to struggle and fight and agonize with joy he says in verse 18 for I consider the sufferings of this present time, and they are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So how do we, how do we as believers, how do we struggle joyfully? How do we willingly sacrifice by loving others? Uh, We have the mindset that's opposite of the world. The world has this sort of like six months no interest mindset. They want it now, but they don't want to have to pay for it right now. 
We have kind of, and a layaway is kind of an old term. Some of you won't understand it, but we have an extended layaway plan. We're willing to pay up front for it and, and wait to receive it, knowing with full hope that it's going to happen and that we're going to receive it. And, and because of that, um, we're willing to forsake the pleasures and comforts of this world and other in order to love others sacrificially. We're willing to suffer and we're willing to agonize and we're willing to struggle um, to be knit together in love because we know that nothing that we face now compares to the glories that await us in Christ. Um, and when believers grasp this truth, uh, we'll walk in a way that is in, as Paul says here, in good order. And we'll stand firm in our faith in Christ and we'll be careful to thank God that those things have been given to us. Last, last observation this morning is the gospel truth must be guarded. Look in verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul says, I say all of this to you in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Um, staying on guard, that takes work. Okay? Being on guard and guarding ourselves and guarding the gospel and in protecting those things, it takes sacrifice. A friend of mine sent me a photo the other day, and I mean, I, I laughed. Uh, but it was of a gentleman that we both knew. Uh, he had fallen asleep in his chair while sitting in front of an array of screens that were displaying security camera footage. <laughs> I don't think he should have been asleep sitting there watching security camera footage. Uh, it made me laugh, but the photo makes my point here. The man was tired. He's not a young man. It had been a long day, most likely. There was probably a 99.9% .9 chance that nothing was going to happen that was going to be some kind of a security event. So in his mind, it seemed reasonable he could catch a quick nap. He could let down his guard, and it seemed plausible that that would be okay. And it worked out okay for him. No security events and that kind of thing, but... As believers, we don't have this luxury. As a church, we don't have the luxury to let down our guard and to fall asleep. The, the Colossians didn't have that luxury because there were people among them that were seeking to add to Christ, to, to take away from Christ, to, re, to remove Christ, to teach salvation by other ways. And we face these same things today. Um, the threats to the gospel are unending And the interesting thing is we need to understand that these false teachings, they're, they're likely going to come from within the church, from those who are claiming to be teachers of the word, those who are claiming to be followers of Christ. And it's important to notice that these things, they're going to seem reasonable. They're going to seem plausible. When these new teachings pop up, um, they seem reasonable. Oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Because they're mostly truth, but they twist it a little bit here, or they deny this little thing here, or they add this little thing here. And we have to be careful that we guard the word of truth that is the gospel. And to guard it, we have to know it. And Paul, when he closes in his letter to the Romans, he, he concludes with these words. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, okay, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. 
And he, goes, he says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. One of the best ways that we can love each other sacrificially, whether we are a new in our faith believer or old in our faith believer, um, at any point where we are naive in the truth and the implications of the gospel, we need other believers to help us guard against um, our naivete, so to speak. We need, we need people to put things in our hands that teach us truths, and that confront things that are false, that help us understand how to guard the word of truth, which is the gospel. Um, so how do we love each other sacrificially? Um, remind each other of the grace of God. Remind each other that we, our faith comes by Christ and him alone. Remind each other of the hope that we have in Christ that is laid up for us in heaven. And that because of that hope, we're able to love faithfully and to love sacrificially. And as we love faithfully and sacrificially, it overflows into our sharing of the gospel. And as we share it, the Spirit goes before us and he causes the gospel to bear fruit and to increase. And as the gospel increases those are added to the church and as those are added to the church um, God is glorified and he is magnified and his believers are called to love each other sacrificially in the way that they pray for each other and in the way that they help one another guard the gospel would you pray with me Father we are thankful for your word we've confessed this morning apart from you we have no faith apart from you we are unqualified to share in the inheritance of eternal life and in the inheritance of being with you for eternity father thank you that you do not leave us in a state of lostness but you sent christ to save us to be the one who sacrificed his life on our behalf that we could be delivered and redeemed and transferred from darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. God, would you work in us this morning to give us faith. Increase our faith for those who do not have faith that you would grant them faith. Father, would you cause us uh, in this next year as Oak Valley Church to love each other in this body sacrificially in ways that we never have and to love others in the world around us that we know need to hear the gospel, that we would love them sacrificially in ways that we never have. All the while, would you encourage us and strengthen us by your might. Remind us of the hope that we have in you so that we can endure these things with joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.